Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 38. Psalm 38. It is uh, good for us to gather together by night and to center on the Word of God, to have our day end the way it has begun in thanking and praising Him uh, for all the blessings that He gives us, particularly that He gives us through His Word, read and preached and sung and prayed. Psalm 38, a psalm of David for a memorial. Hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, and chasten me not in thy burning anger. For thine arrows have sunk deep into me, and thy hand is pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. For my loins are filled with burning. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before Thee. And my sighing is not hidden from Thee. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. And my kinsmen stand far off. Those who seek my life lay snares for me. And those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction. And they devise Treachery all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I'm like a dumb man who does not open his mouth. Yes, I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth there are no arguments. For I hope in Thee, O Lord. Thou wilt answer. O Lord my God, for I said, may they not rejoice over me, who when my foot slips would magnify themselves against me, for I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me, for I confess my iniquity, I am full of anxiety because of my sin, but my enemies are vigorous and strong and Many are those who hate me wrongfully and those who repay evil for good. They oppose me because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do not be far from me. Make haste to help, O Lord, my salvation. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you 
that you have given to your church as a great gift, the prophet King David. Carried along by the Holy Spirit, he has given us your word in lyrical form that it might be a song to teach our hearts how to feel and our minds how to think and our lives how to live. Oh God, we pray, conform us to the image of his greater son, Christ our Lord, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, I have to confess to you, I really don't like preaching on sin. You know, it's not a very pleasant topic. You don't get a lot of brownie points, even from people in the congregation. They don't walk up and say, oh, that was just such a wonderful sermon on sin. Thank you so very much for making me feel so guilty. Faith, spirituality, even apologetics. Now, those are the kinds of topics that we can sink our teeth into. But sin? I've never heard of a candidate running for office, public office, on a platform of sin. Have you? But Psalm 38 is by King David, the prophet king. And while it's unclear from what is written here, the exact narrow or specific occasion on which he was writing, the general occasion is one that every one of us here can relate to. We know and feel what it is like to remember our sin. David tells us that it is written for a memorial here. Right in the the heading in the beginning. And so it's like what they have in Scotland. Those great high standing stones in the middle of a field. You can see them as you walk by or ride by. They stand the height of two or three or four men high. Standing for a thousand or for four thousand years. Bearing testimony to some prior civilization in that place. And so in our lives, there are these standing stones, memorials bearing witness to our iniquity and our folly and our shortcoming. And David here is singing a song about just that in his own life and also in ours. Our sin stands tall and haunts us. And there's no peace, David tells us. So here... Hear the song about the leprosy of sin, which David sings to teach our hearts how to feel and where to turn. The first thing he tells us is that sin spawns suffering. Sin spawns suffering. Verse 1 says, Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, nor chasten me in thy burning anger. Here we learn that sin suffers the positive wrath of God. God will punish sin. But God will not necessarily punish sin right now. And so David, in his estate of sin and misery, he looks up to his heavenly Father and he cries out to Him, Do not rebuke me in thy wrath. Do not chasten me in thy burning anger. Oh, he knows he's a sinner. He confesses his sin here in the text several times. He knows the hand of God's judgment is against him. And he cries out to that God who is also the God of mercy and salvation. And he pleads with him 
to be patient and forbearing and long-suffering on the same basis, the only basis that one can ever plead with God for such. You know, whether something happens right now or later makes a big difference. I can remember my grandfather. He was the son of a Moravian minister, and he came home sort of shaken after a uh, trip to the store. He came and he said to us, he said, you know, I got out of my car. I was accosted by this man standing on a soapbox. I said, what did he say, Papa? He said, he said to me, brother, do you want to go to heaven? So well, what did you say? He said, do you mean right now? Whether it's going to happen now or later is a, is a very pertinent question to our minds. God does not necessarily pour out his wrath against us in final punishment at, at one instant. And God, being known by David as his heavenly father, knowing of his mercy and his covenant kindness, he pleads with him for patience. He also knows that God in punishing sin does also not necessarily punish us as well as punish right now. You see, David knew that there was one coming. He knew that there was one coming who would identify with us and would substitute for us. And so he pleads with his heavenly Father to be patient with him and to forgive him on the basis of a coming Messiah and Lord. But sin, even in the life of a David, suffers from the hand of God, God's positive punishment and wrath. But it also suffers, sin does, in all of our lives, natural consequences. In verses 2 to 8, we see a catalog of these. And it's almost a medical kind of catalog. For thine arrows have sunk deep into me. Thy hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine indignation. And there is no health in my bones because of my sin. Here we read that God in his sovereignty can press deep into our lives, can be very heavy-handed with us in a matter of judgment against our souls because of the way that we have disobeyed him. He speaks in terms of a pressing physical ailment. And whether that's by way of illustration or whether it's simply the fact that he is suffering, perhaps near death, and he's crying out to God because his hand of wrath is against him, we don't know. But in either case, the truth is driven home to us. Sometimes God presses our conscience for what we've done. And other times, he presses our conscience and our bodies for what we have done. David's language seems to indicate the latter here. Now we have to stop and be very careful and take a deep breath and remember that we are those who are broken and sinful, but we live as sons and daughters of our first father Adam and our first mother Eve in a broken and sinful world. And so there's, there's sin and the effects of sin, not only in us, but all around us. My mother's blind. My dad has had MS. I've seen what uh, medical burden and heartache is in the heart of our family. And these things with which we struggle on a physical level are are not so easily or, or simply 
directly traced back to this or that event or, or experience or even sin in our lives. The world is much more complicated than that in a fallen condition. There's not always a direct connection in these things. But David here is speaking in those terms and he's doing so in order to speak very graphically and to communicate to each one of us in his song that when we find ourselves under physical pressure and oppression and, and disorientation, that it is a time in which we should do business with God and cry out to Him. Oh, the language is medically graphic. My wounds grow foul and fester, he says, because of my folly. I'm bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. David here speaks to us in ways that we can almost smell as well as hear. David's being burned up by his sin. And we sometimes often are as well. The believer not at peace with God reeks. Sometimes the guilt stinks from our pores because we're out of accord with the will of our Heavenly Father. We, we don't love Him and trust Him. We've been running the other way like Jonah and we just smell of it. The dog can even sniff it out sometimes. Sin can sour into suffering in our lives. David is singing to us in a melody that our hearts might learn that this is so. But he doesn't stop there. David goes on and says that sin can spawn strife. Verses 9 and 10 speak of this. Lord, my desire, all my desire is before Thee, and my sighing is not hidden from Thee. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. Here David is speaking of himself. He's speaking of the strife that he feels between body and soul, the concern of his mind at the way his body is reacting. He is under the hand of God's judgment. His life is an open book before him. God knows all and sees all, and the sin which infects him is draining his vitality out from his life before God's very eyes. There's one experience I had some years ago. You know, it's not a good thing from the pulpit to talk about medical things too much. But I'll just in glancing say, uh, I had a condition. I didn't know what it was. It felt like the flu at first, and then there was this pain which, which moved from the center over to the side. And, you know, they wondered if I had appendicitis. And so I, I was taken to the hospital, and they did unspeakably horrible and unbiblical things to me there. The attendant even apologized. I'm so sorry I have to do this to you. It's uh, required policy. Well, he just about killed me. I was admitted for one week, and the films that were taken were misread, and the diagnosis that was given was wrong, and I was sent home in a dangerous condition where just a baby jumping on my tummy at the wrong time could have ended my life. I lay there for two weeks, popping all these pills, feeling like 
two or three hundred pounds heavier in weight because of them. You know, your feet drag with these antibiotics. And I finally did the most sensible medical thing I could do. I called a theological colleague of mine and I said, Doug, you've got to pray for me. I'm not feeling well. Something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, Doug. And he said, I'm going to do two things. He said, one is I'm going to call a friend of mine. He can diagnose you over the phone. And the other is I'll pray while he does that. And I thought, great. And he did. And this dear brother, who's very intuitive, uh, he asked me three or four questions. And he told me that he thought he knew what the problem was. And I was to see a man the next day in his practice. And sure enough, I, I ended up back in the hospital. Where I'm having zeroed right in on what the problem was. And, and I sat there for a week lying in the hospital and being filled with all these medications to calm down what was happening on the inside, watching movies of what sorts of medical procedures they might do to me and suffering that I would undergo. It was a living hell. My point simply is this. We undergo physical pain. We We undergo the dislocation of that in our lives and the pressure and the intensity, and we feel out of sorts with ourselves. We we look at ourselves in the mirror. Who is this? Sin spawns strife internally within our own lives, and it spills over to our families. Verse 11 says, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. Verse 11 has led many to suspect that what David is describing is a skin condition, a form of leprosy that would have had, a, therefore, a basis for the uh, description of this birth, uh, uh, action back in the Old Testament law, according to Leviticus 13 and Deuteronomy 24, if there is someone who is certified by a priest to have a leper, then he is to separate from his people and go out from among them. He is unclean. He is not to be touched. His infection is not to be spread. He must live in isolation. But in this case, with the description that David gives, it might also simply be that those around him, even of his closest kith and kin, feel as if the hand of God's judgment is upon him, that God was judging him. And who would want to be around a man like that? You see, our sin is always before God. God sees all and knows all. He is holy and righteous and and. The filth and the stench of it offends his holiness and his righteousness. And so he reacts to sin and he judges it out of the purity of who he is. Not only do our fathers and our mothers and our brothers and our sisters abandon us, but our heavenly father stands against us in such things. And then there are the enemies. Verse 12 describes the strife that sin spawns with the enemies. Those who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction. They devise treachery all day long. Now, David's not delusional in in a high fever. These are real, real opponents. Those who would seek to overthrow him on the throne. Those who would seek to have him put to scorn and to shame in public. Those who would like to entrap and ensnare him and undo his role in the history of redemption. Oh, enemies threaten. 
enemies lay snare. They devise destruction all day long, but that's not all that sin spawns. David then turns and tells us that the good news of the gospel is that sin also can spawn strangely salvation. It can become the occasion on which we feel the depth of our sinfulness and we turn to God for His grace. Verse 13 says, But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I'm a dumb man who does not open his mouth. Yes, I'm like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth there is no arguments. He stands silent before his God. He has nothing to say. It's as if he hears and sees nothing at all. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't try to to counter him. Well, Lord, it really wasn't that bad what I did. Lord, I was really the right one. They were the wrongs one. He just sits in silence before his heavenly Father. Deaf, dumb, and blind. He finds no hope in himself, does David, and neither should we. Have you ever reached the depth of such a point before in your walk? Have you come to the point where you just collapse before God in absolute silence? No counter-argument, no responding complaint. You just take the blows one after another as they come upon you, and you sit there before God, in silence, lowering your head. The irony of the passage is that that condition which we would consider the most pitiful and lowly one of all is on the threshold of hope because it's on the threshold of grace. Sin can drive us inward that we might truly feel the sinfulness of our sin and therefore have our head lifted upward into the very presence of God. You see, at verse 15, everything begins to change. For I hope in Thee, O Lord. Wilt Thou answer, O Lord my God? For I said, may they not rejoice over me who, when my foot slips, would magnify themselves against me. I'm ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me, for I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. David begins to pray. He begins from the bottom of the barrel to cry out to his heavenly Father, and he says to him, you are my only hope. These men all around me, those who have abandoned me, and and those who are my enemies, they would just love to see my foot slip one more time. But he cries out to God. He cries out to God to be steadied and caught. He cries out to God that his sin might be forgiven, that his anxiety might be quieted and stilled. Verse 19, O my enemies are vigorous and strong. Many are those who hate me wrongfully, those who repay evil for good. You see, in this struggle that David has internally, he has not lost sight of the fact that he's not as bad as they say he is, even though he has something to confess to his heavenly Father. And so he sees that he should follow and seek after God for forgiveness rather than taking to heart all that his enemies say and do. They oppose me, he says in verse 20, because I follow what is good. Oh, sin is horrible. 
But there's no better place for us, is there, than to be driven to our knees where we pray to our Heavenly Father and we find in Him forgiveness and restoration, sure and free. All the blows, all the pain, all the suffering, once we're in His presence and adoring Him for His salvation, are worth it. And just to add to the glory of our Heavenly Father above. Oh, to end up in the arms of our Heavenly Father. You see, the beauty of this psalm on which it ends is that sin, as horrible as it is, it drives us into the arms of the Savior. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. David called on God to save. David knew that he needed salvation now. And he knew that he needed salvation divine, not from men. And so, my friend, I say to you as I say to myself, we need a Savior who can deal with our sins. We need a Savior who can make a difference in our lives, who can pay for our sins, who can liquidate the wrath of God against us, settling accounts with Him once and for all, eternally. In other words, we need a Savior whose name is Jesus, the Son of God incarnate. Well, David here tells us that sin spawns suffering, strife, and praise the Lord, also salvation for his saints in its wake. But the Psalms are written about Jesus, so so Jesus, as a child, sang this psalm. And as He took those words upon His lips, as He sang a confession of sin, the sinless one singing of His sin, what in the world are we to make of this? Well, He came to tabernacle among us. He came identifying with sinners just like you and me. He came and dwelt among us, body and soul. He came and suffered under parents who were less than perfect, like some of you. And He came and lived in a society full of wicked, evil, scheming hypocrites, like we all do. And He dwelt in a church full of people that fall short of the glory of God in their flesh, like all of us here. And He... He takes the words of Psalm 38 upon his lips from his childhood that we might know and see that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that's something to sing about. Let us pray.